Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Let's read this together. Mark chapter 1. The verses will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Here's what the scripture says. It says, At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then, it says, Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So he's ministering late into the evening. It says in verse 35, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and he departed to a solitary or deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? But he said to them, almost unfazed by this, he says, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord, to which we say, Thanks be to God. Father, we do thank you this morning for the gift of your word. Ultimately, we thank you for the life of your son, Jesus. Jesus, we need your life. We invite your life into ours this morning. As we come into this place, we're not here to be entertained or to be religious and simply be those that are approaching a routine, but God, we're here because we believe what your word says, that you're here, that you're present here, and you're speaking, God. And so our our prayer here each and every morning is to to ask God that your voice would be the loudest in the room, That, that God, you would take even what I've prepared and by the power of your spirit, knowing where everyone's at in this room, you would just connect it to every life, your word today, God. Lord, we're excited for how you're going to speak to us. We invite you to do that. We invite you to be present. Holy Spirit, be here. We ask that you speak to us and you give us ears to hear what you want to say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so every week as we come to a section of Scripture in the Gospel of Mark, The theme of our series is the way, and so what we're doing here is we're each week looking at a different aspect of the way of Jesus, seeing a different way that Jesus did something or lived a certain way. And this morning, it's kind of a peculiar one, but we're going to study this morning. Here's the title of the message, The Way Jesus Disappeared. The Way Jesus Disappeared. Studying for this, I couldn't help but think of that, that gif where the guy does the peace sign next to his friend and he just disappears. That's what I thought of. Um, you know? No? All right. Um, the way Jesus disappeared. Now, this is uh, just this title and obviously this text that we just read is a complete, such a complete contrast to everything that we studied last week. Last week in Mark chapter 1, We didn't look at the disappearance of Jesus from the scene, but we looked at his public appearance on the scene as he inaugurated his ministry in Galilee. 
That, that was the emphasis of Mark, and there's a reason for this writing. There's a reason for the disappearance of Jesus following all this emphasis on Jesus coming on the scene. I mean, that's been what Mark is all about. Jesus comes on the scene. He appears. He comes into frame at 30 years old. He begins his public ministry in the region of Galilee, and he comes on the scene preaching the gospel. That was his primary ministry. We even saw it there in the text that he went to the next town to continue to bring attention to the good news of God and the good news of the kingdom. Beyond that, he also was calling disciples. He comes on the scene preaching the gospel, and people are hearing him preach. Then he comes on the scene calling disciples to follow him and live in his way. It's what we are called to do as well. And as he enters the city of Capernaum, he really comes into frame as he begins to minister in the Jewish synagogues there. This is how Jesus got his start, preaching the gospel, calling disciples, and he would go into the Jewish synagogue and he would minister in those synagogues. And it was in that context and in that place that the scriptures tell us, we read this last week, that Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the region of Galilee. Jesus is trending, okay? Uh, hashtag Jesus Christ of Nazareth would be on their t Galilean Twitter, okay? Jesus is blowing up. He's popping off. Uh, he is the most famous celebrity in the culture at that time. His fame is spreading. Talk about instant fame. Jesus comes on the scene preaching the gospel, calling disciples. Next thing you know, he is the talk of the town. Now, let's ask ourselves a question, kind of catch us up. What was it about Jesus that drew all these crowds? Jesus isn't the first teacher to enter a synagogue and teach. He's not the first preacher to preach. He's not the first master or leader to have disciples. What was it uniquely about Jesus that caused him to trend? Amen. That's one of the, the things. That would be a subcategory of what we'd say is his authority. His authority. His healing was definitely a part of that. Jesus' authority is Mark's focus in Mark chapter 1. Mark's focus is, is on how everyone looked on at Jesus stunned by this authority that he carried with him in two unique ways that he carried his authority. Jesus had a certain kind of authority that he first spoke with. He speaks with authority. We saw this in Mark 1.22. It says, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. And I love the shade that they throw at the religious leaders and not at the scribes. Not those guys, okay? He wasn't like them, all right? Jesus stood out in the powerful way that he preached. He didn't teach like everyone else, just kind of regurgitating religious talk, right? Like, oh, I've heard that before a million times. Do you even believe what you're saying? You know what I'm saying? You ever felt that way? Like, that's just religious talk. Do you actually believe what you're saying? Jesus comes on the scene, and he's not like every other teacher. He teaches with authority. The idea there of Jesus' preaching authority is that first he spoke with his own intelligence. Intelligence. Jesus isn't just kind of thinking like everyone else lazily. I mean, this is such an important thing. He's not just like just assuming what he's being, what's been told in the religious world and just, again, regurgitating it. Jesus is giving thoughtful, intelligent statements and messages about the kingdom. He's engaging people's minds. People are going, wow, I've never thought of it like that before. Jesus will often teach like this. He'll say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He preaches thoughtfully and intelligently. He also preaches with authority in that he preaches with conviction. There's something about that, like this person really believes what they're saying. 
You know, when you're convicted and you're convinced of the truth of God, it doesn't really matter how articulate you need to be or, or how, uh, how you know, not articulate you are. People will notice when you believe what you're saying. Do you know what I'm saying? And we, we know the opposite, too, when you're like, do you really believe that, you know? But Jesus was so influential because everything he said, it didn't just come from the head. It flowed from his heart. He preached with authority, with thoughtfulness, with conviction, and, and man, also with power. There was power to his message because he's bringing the truth of God. There's power in proclaiming the truth of God. And so the crowds are drawn to the way that Jesus speaks with authority. He he comes as if he's sent by God, and he certainly was. It wasn't just the authority that he spoke with. It's also the authority. Second thing that he did in his authority that drew the crowds was he also served with authority. He spoke with authority. But how many of us know that to just speak with authority but not have moral authority, right, and, and actually back it up with the way you live and serve, it sort of takes the authority out of your message. There's nothing that puts authority in what you're saying more than actually living it. Amen? There's something to that. So Jesus also served with authority, but, but a special kind of authority. It tells us this, that they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with Authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And as our friend here mentioned, Jesus was healing. He brought a certain power. I want you to think of it this way. An actual spiritual power that no one had ever seen before. That was stronger than the spiritual conditions and even the physical ailments of the day. The parallel of this maybe in your life is I want you to think about something that you are overpowered by. What in your life do you sometimes feel powerless in defeating? You ever felt that way? You ever come face to face with your own limitations in the face of a struggle, in the face of a foe? Well, this culture at that time, whether it was demon possession, whether it was spiritual oppression, whether it was their physical condition, this was a community of people that was face to face with their powerlessness but was stuck without any hope. And Jesus comes on the scene and they're like, what? Is this? We've never seen what kind of they go, what kind of doctrine is this? What kind of belief system? Who is this that he has the authority to speak and those things that are coming against us, they have to bow? So this this is Jesus. Whatever the thing that you're powerless in defeating, Jesus has authority over that. That's the message of the good news of the kingdom. That he's stronger than that, and he can be strong in your life. You can't defeat that thing, right? That's a lot of what our culture tries to get us to do. It's like, try harder. Be better, you know? Fight stronger. But we know that there's a limit to what we can overcome. You know, really what a Christian is is someone who says, Jesus has won the battle for me. That's a Christian, right? Jesus has defeated what I can't. Jesus has saved me from my sin when I couldn't. Jesus' authority. Now, it's this authority that, again, causes all these crowds to swarm around Jesus. And where we left off last week, where we pick it up in the chapter this morning, Jesus at, is, is at, the Bible says, Peter's wife's mother's home. That's what, now, by the way, this is from Peter's perspective. Peter should have lovingly said, we were at my, my mother-in-law's house, or my, that's the, or my mother-in-law's But he tells Mark right down that they were at Peter's wife's mother's house. It's like, come on, Pete. 
Jesus is there after healing, overpowering with his authority. He overpowers the sickness of Peter's wife's mother. And they're at her home. She's serving them. It's an incredible picture here of just hospitality and fellowship. And the scriptures tell us this. Did you catch this? It says, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. I want you to see this. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Holy cow. Fire code, right? Talk about a block party. It's like, how many people did you have over? Oh, the whole city was at my door. Anybody, by the way, any, like, but I have anxiety just thinking about that. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, just having my neighbors over, like, it's, you know, like what they're going to think about your mess, but really they're like, oh, they're so clean. But they're like, oh my gosh, these people, they don't clean up anything. That's like our mindset. So imagine the pressure of Peter's wife's mother. The whole city's at her house. And they're there, listen, because Jesus is there. We're going to talk about this a little bit next week, about the kind of people that Jesus welcomed to him. But there's also something beautiful about people that say, listen to this, I just need to get to where Jesus is. If I can just come to him, they they have their condition, they have their spiritual issue, and they've heard of this teacher who has authority, he's got power to action. He doesn't just give you spiritual words, he actually carries with him the power to change your life. People go, I just got to find him. I've got to get to where Jesus is. If I can just touch him, if I can come in the same room as him, even if I got to stand outside the door and peek in a window, I just want to get as close as I can to Jesus. And just such a beautiful picture there in verse 34, it says that Jesus heals them. So Jesus is up. I want you to notice this. This is before FPNL, and l all right? Is, it, is there an and in that, like A-T-N-T, F-P-N-L? Yeah? Okay, thanks. You would know. You used to work for them, right? Okay, thanks. <laughs> Perfect timing. I'm glad you're here, David. <laughs> All right, um, so this is pre-FP and L, all right? And uh, the, the sun has set. You imagine the conditions, very dimly lit, but there's a whole swarm of people. And just what a display of Jesus. You know, the ministry clock doesn't end from nine to five. He's available to the Lord. These people are coming to him. And he's not like, well, hey, I'm off duty. Sorry, can't heal you right now, okay? I checked out. Go see my secretary and book an appointment, right? He's healing all those that are there. Just the compassion of Jesus. But we're going to see he's not motivated by the needs of people, though. This is important. That's an un- There's an unhealthy way to live like that, too, right? Where all the demands around you are directing your life. And we see the opposite with Jesus. But here's what I want you to notice. All these people are there. The sunset. Who knows what time it is? This is a late-night rager, okay? It is well into the evening. Eventually... After a late night of ministry, everybody heads home for the evening. You, you know, I imagine Peter's wife's mother is like, you know, classic, you don't have to go home, but it's closing time, okay? Last call for healing, all right? Like, he's like, you got to get out. She's like, I got to go to bed. You ever felt that way? Hospitality, rest, okay? Speaking to our community group leaders in the house right now. Um, just a beautiful display of ministry, but eventually everyone heads home for the evening. We don't know exactly what time. It's certainly late after the sun goes down, and they, or they at least go find a place to crash. And I want you to notice the scene now. The party has to end, and everyone's just like, they can't wait to wake up the next day to come back for more of the Jesus conference. And as the sun rises up the next day, Jesus is nowhere to be found. <laughs> He's disappeared. He's done the, the, right? 
He's disappeared. He's nowhere to... I mean, you can imagine the hysteria. Where has he gone? Also, like a sense of like loss. Like, no, I didn't get my... Ch- Maybe someone was waiting in line. They didn't get their chance, and they're feeling like sadness. The disciples are new to Jesus too, right? Don't, don't read ahead in this. The disciples are brand new to Jesus. They don't know that this is actually one of his customs, where he like, it's his thing to appear strongly and then disappear. This is like his thing. We'll talk about that. They don't know that. They're thinking, we're supposed to follow this guy. We don't know where he is. We're, he's going he's gonna to fire us, you know? Like, where is he? And, and so they're losing it. They, they unleash this search party for Jesus. It's amazing. When they finally found, find Jesus and they say, everyone was looking for you. And the disciples are searching everywhere for him. I imagine the anxiety of the disciples like, did we miss out on Jesus because we slept in? You ever felt that way? It's like, just that anxiety of like, why did we sleep in? We thought he would sleep in because he was up all night. But no, Jesus, the Bible tells us this in Mark 135 in the morning. So this is really interesting. It just shows us how much Jesus felt that he needed this. Despite a late night of ministry, when the sun has gone down, Jesus hasn't seen sunlight in some time. In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and he departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Jesus arose early before everyone else He went out to a solitary, he departed, disappeared to a solitary place, and there he prayed, 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 prayed with prayer. Now, as I mentioned, kind of uh, tooling on the disciples a little bit, this is um, new for them, but the more that they would spend time with Jesus, the more that they would learn that this is not just one of the most common practices in the life of Jesus, but they come to learn that it's the most key practice in the life of Jesus. This is not a one-time thing. In fact, the Bible says it this way in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Jesus himself often would do this. He'd withdraw into the wilderness, and he would pray. This was a regular practice in the life of Jesus. So much so that I imagine the next time the disciples woke up and, they, and Jesus wasn't there, they're like, okay, we know where he is. They stopped searching because they knew where they could find Jesus alone with his father. This becomes one of Jesus' most regular customs. And I want you to notice that it says it here in Luke. It also, it's it's in Mark, the same context. There's so much going on. And it's in the the busyness of life that Jesus is doing this. And and one commentator said that about Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Luke, that there's kind of this theme with Jesus where uh, the busier life gets for Jesus, it seems the more frequently he withdraws. Which convicts me because it's usually the complete opposite with me. Anybody else? Busyness often doesn't drive me into relationship with God. It drives me often away. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you felt like your season of life or the past few years of your life, I mean, chalk it up to COVID or whatever it is, like think about all that we've gone through as a nation and all that you've gone through in your life. How has busyness driven you away from relationship with God? What a beautiful picture in the life of Jesus. He wasn't so, so caught up in doing that he failed to be, to be in relationship with his father. That's what he's doing here. Jesus is departing to a solitary place to pray, to commune with his Father. I want to point out just a couple key things 
about this. Jesus has, I love this, he's got a time before daylight, and he's got a place. Now, is it the same place every time? Some people speculate the Mount of Olives, kind of a frequently visited spot of Jesus. I don't know exactly where. We know that this was a certain when. Regardless, I want to encourage you, what's your time and where's your place? Just think about that for a second. This becomes one of the regular practices of the life of Jesus. As we think about our own lives, what's your time? When things get so busy, so now you're creating a plan because you know what busyness can do to your relationship with God. But we want to be like Jesus. Busyness drove him into relationship with God. He would detach. So for you, what's your time? When? When is the time? And also, where is your place? You know, it's, it's good to have a, a place, a spot where you can meet with the Lord. Whether it's your back patio, whether it's your door closed and a TV show's on for a minute, and we're going to have an unpaid babysitter here for a moment just so that I can refill and receive from Jesus what I need. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe you're kind of in close quarters with a lot of people, so this takes a lot of work. Maybe it literally is like a deserted place, whether it's like the beach first thing in the morning. Um, you know, sometimes the better the time, the better the place, too. And so I want you to just begin to think about that. Where's my time, or where's my place, and when's my time? Regardless, I want to encourage you with this. It's not so much about that as much as it's about the purpose, the purpose of being alone with God. Whatever that, that place is, whenever that time is, the purpose is to be alone with God. Um, like for me, so what I found, that time and place, can I tell you when, where and when it is? It's whenever and wherever I'm not with this. That's my time and place. It's wherever and whenever the demands of life aren't ding, 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 right? It's whenever my notifications aren't on, on, on my radar. It's whenever my text messages aren't coming in. It's that solitary place alone with God. Now, I joked about how the disciples didn't initially know where Jesus was. As they would continue to walk with him, they saw this custom in Jesus' life. And they saw more than that. Um, look at what Luke chapter 11, I want you to see this here in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 says. It says, it came to pass another occasion that Jesus was praying in a certain place, relationship with God, in prayer, that when he stopped praying, he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What a prayer request. Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. You see, Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John, they so came to see not only the, the rhythm of this practice in Jesus' life, but they so came to see the central value of it in his life that they said, Jesus, can you teach us to do it like you do it? You know, there, there's a lot of insight into this. First of all, this is a sense of humility to say, I need to learn. There's something to that. Like uh, having the, 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 the posture of humility to say, I need to learn is central to what it means to be a Christian. We know this, right? One of the most dangerous, like, if you think not knowing something is dangerous as a Christian, try thinking you know it all. It's the only thing worse. The hardest, like, one of the harder things for me in ministry to do is not teach people who don't know. It's like, well, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's, it's even harder to teach people who assume they know, and they're wise in their own eyes. So, so this posture is so central to being a Christian, saying, I don't know it all. God, I need your help. I need you to teach me. I'm a disciple. The word disciple literally means a learner. Jesus, I'm willing to unlearn what I thought I knew, what I thought was true, so that I can relearn what is true, what you have said. Lord, teach me to pray. So first, there needs to be this humility. And can I say, like, this is a great place to start. If for you, you're like, I don't have a very strong prayer life. 
Maybe you're like, yeah, the busyness of life has driven me away from prayer a long time ago. Where do I begin? Just begin with this. God, help me pray. God, teach me to pray. Just continue to pray that. That's a simple prayer request. God, teach me how to pray. Um, There's another insight into this for the disciples. First of all, for once, they're getting it right. For once. Most of the time, the Gospels show us how the disciples are, are often asking failed questions, like, Lord Jesus, not, you know, not, not something spiritual, I guess, but can we sit on your right and left hand? Can I get that best seat in the house, Jesus? Can you put my name on it? I want to sit there. Or Jesus, I love this one, Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven upon these enemies of ours? Lord, right? Who won't let us into their town? We got to go around because of religious and, or racial issues but they're finally getting something right here. This is a request that Jesus is welcoming. Lord, teach us to pray. Why are they asking this? They could be asking a lot of other things. They could be asking, Jesus, teach us to preach. We want to preach like you preach. Teach us to preach. Or Jesus, te- Jesus, can you teach us how to do that thing where you take a Lunchable and you multiply, multiply it into a buffet meal? Teach me that. Or Jesus, can you teach me how to barefoot water ski? With no boat? All right. I'll stop youth groupanizing the Jesus stories, okay? Jesus, I mean, how many things from the life of Jesus? Can you, Jesus, can you teach me to do the thing where my best friend dies and I bring him back to life? Because sometimes I want to kill them, you know? And so, but if I could just bring him back, it would be great, you know? So how many different lessons could they have requested from Jesus? I want to learn from you, Jesus. Notice this. They saw prayer as the central thing needed in their life. They saw that in the life of Jesus. They're like, listen, if I can only learn to pray, maybe everything else will work itself out. So so what a humility. Jesus, I, I recognize in your life that prayer, it's playing a central role in everything. I see you, Jesus. I see how when things get busy, you depart and you pray. And so Jesus, teach us to pray. We see our need to learn. We see our need for prayer. And Jesus, we see you as a specialist in this area. So teach me, Jesus. Now, as Jesus responds to this question, he gives them what's been commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. You ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? This is Jesus' response to this question. Jesus, teach me to pray. So Jesus says, okay. He said to them, when you pray... Say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on to say, give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus, will you teach us to pray? And he says, sure. And from that you have what is the most famous prayer in all of the Bible. The Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives. You know, a few years ago, we did a series. Um, on, it's on our, our website. It's on our podcast. You can go back and listen to the messages and, uh, from past time. And we have a series on there from maybe two or three years ago, actually. I don't even know what, what day or year it is anymore. Past two years are kind of jumbled into one, aren't they? So maybe like, it might be 10 years ago. Who knows? But a few years ago, we did a series called Teach Us to Pray. That was the name of the series. It was a four-week mini-series where we walked through the Lord's Prayer. And one of the most important things that we studied with the Lord's Prayer is, is the Lord's Prayer is not simply meant or given by Jesus to be used to recite in some sort of formulaic, manipulative way, religious way. 
Like, oh, I'm not getting what I want from God. I haven't prayed the Lord's Prayer yet. Maybe if I pray the Lord's Prayer, I'll get the job. You know, that's not the idea. The idea of the Lord's Prayer is not to be given to us religiously, but it's, it's meant to give us something thematically that helps us understand what prayer is for and what it's not for. And when we studied the Lord, uh, Teach Us to Pray in this series, we studied this prayer, and every week we looked at a different part of it. And we kind of saw how Jesus informs us and teaches us to pray. But I want to come back through this, and this will be kind of where we spend the second moment here, um, part of this message. I want to look back at this prayer, and what I want us to see in this prayer is not just what Jesus taught about prayer, but let's just think about it this way. How did Jesus see prayer? How did he see it? Like, he's, he's getting away from the crowds to go be alone with the Father. Why is he doing that? Like, what is it about prayer? What did he see about it? What, what did Jesus especially, listen to this, what did Jesus especially see about being alone with God? What was it about that for Jesus that caused him to pray? And I want to show you a few things from this prayer we just saw. The first thing we see, write this down, is, is Jesus, he would often get away to be alone with the Father because Jesus saw Prayer, number one, is a place to relate with the Father. Jesus saw prayer as a place to relate with the Father. One of the main reasons why Je- when things are busy, that Jesus would stop and he would go get alone to a solitary place where no one could find him. Jesus, we've been trying to look for you, been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty, right? Can't find you. Where are you? And one of the reasons why Jesus would do that is because in the midst of all of his relationships, he knew he had to prioritize his relationship with his Father. So so Jesus teaches this, that this is one of his insights into what the secret place provides. Prayer provides relationship with the Father. He said this, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. That's what he shows us here. Jesus saw prayer as a chance, an opportunity to reconnect and relate with his Father. Now, when Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray this way, he's teaching them something revolutionary. In that culture... No man would boldly come to God this way and say, hey, Dad, as a son does their father. This is revolutionary. But this is a part of the the ministry that Jesus came to bring to humanity, to reconnect humanity back to God, not as just some foreign idea who created everything and is up there, bye-bye, pie in the sky, but to reconnect humanity with God as Father, to come into relationship with God. This is the good news of the gospel. If you're unsure of what the Christian faith is about, here's what it's about. You were created for relationship with God. Your and my sin has naturally separated us from God. Jesus comes into the world as the Son of God to go to a cross, to bear your separation, to take that separation upon himself so that he could bring you back into the family of God. So that through his work on the cross, you, though you were lost, you become found. And though you and I were slaves of sin, we become sons and daughters of the living God. This is what scripture says from page to page, especially about Jesus. It says, as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gives the right to become children of God. You see, this is what your life has been missing. Relationship with God. Being his child, him being your father. It's what you were created for, to know him this way. For as many as received Jesus, to them he's given the right to become children of God. Look at 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we shall be called children of God. I got one more for you. I love this. Romans eight fifteen says, you did not receive in Christ, you didn't receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. You're not a slave anymore. 
You have received the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Dad. Now, when you begin to talk about God as Father, you begin to open up all sorts of doors to trauma, to confusion, um, to misperception of God because of your experience with your father and you begin to project that upon God as father and you're kind of on, like, for some of us, we'd rather it be like our mother. Maybe we had a better relationship with our mom and so it's hard for us to, to understand God as dad because we're so used to maybe something difficult. Let me say this too. Even if you had a great relationship with your father, there's a danger in projecting your earthly dad upon God. And regardless of your background, here's what Jesus is saying. When we begin to pray, what the gospel gives us is access in relationship to the one place where you should feel most at home. That's the idea there of father. You're home. You're a child. You come before your father. And maybe that's foreign to you, the idea of father feeling like home. But this is what Jesus comes to bring you. He comes to teach you a whole new kind of dad, a whole new father that you're invited to know and walk with. And so for Jesus, this is what Jesus, he saw prayer this way. Earlier in chapter 1 of Mark, we see the Father speaking over Jesus. And that's such a big part of life as well, like hearing what your Father says about you. But then there's something about that that should make you go, I want to be with you. I want to talk to you. I want to commune with you. That's what prayer provides. It's one thing to know these things theologically. Like I could give you every other you know, verse in the Bible about the fact that God's your dad and you're his child. But prayer is where we lay hold of what we believe to be true. Um, prayer is where we actually become children. Jesus said to do that, by the way. He said, become like a child before God. Prayer is where we do that. It's actually where you become your truest self, too. I want you to think about that. You become your truest self. The truest version of who you are is who you are before God in prayer. Robert Murray McShane, he's, a, he's got an epic name, Robert Murray McShane, but he said, what a man is before God on his knees, that he is and nothing else. Who you are before God is who you are. That's the truest part of you. And that's what you're called to live from. All day long, we're struggling to find who we are. We have to come back to who we truly are, which is sons and daughters of God. We're caught up in our jobs and our titles and our roles and our performance. And prayer is where we go, Dad, my Father in heaven, I'm your child. And we engage with the Father. Jesus taught the importance of this in the Gospel of Matthew. He said this. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like praying hypocrite people. Okay? They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. Here's, why, here's the motive for prayer. That they might be seen by men. Have you heard them pray? Have you heard them pray? They can pray. Okay? Surely, he says, I say to you, Jesus, they have their reward, the praise of man. It's one way to approach prayers. Christianity is a public performance. He goes, no, don't, don't approach your life that way. He said, but you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut the door, lock that thing and put on bubble guppies, okay? Pray to your father. I love this. Notice this. Who is in the secret place. He's there waiting to meet with you. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The New Testament promises two places that you can always find God. 
When two or more are gathered in his name, he's there. And when you close your door in the secret place, he's there. He's there in each of those places exclusively and uniquely. Something we both need in our lives. We need to do this, right? We're meeting with God together right now. God's here. He's been here since we've begun to gather in a special, tangible way. And he's there when you meet him, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't sense it, whatever that might mean, he's there in the secret place waiting to be known by you and waiting for you to come back home, right with your father. Jesus prayed to relate, showed us that prayer is relationship with the father. Um, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it just because I, I, like, my sermon is not complete unless I quote Charles Spurgeon, so I was gonna move on, but I realized I don't have any other Spurgeon quotes from here on out, so I gotta do it, okay? Spurgeon, he's, this guy, he's like, um, he's, he's forthright with it. He says this. He says, Woe unto the man whose devotion is observed by everybody and who never offers a secret supplication. He says, this is a dangerous kind of Christianity where you're never in the secret place. He says, I love this quote, Secret prayer is the secret of prayer. Like, how do we get, we talk about this all the time, how do we get soulless church to pray? How do we get soulless church to show up to prayer meetings and worship nights? The secret of prayer is secret prayer. It's when we all begin to pray in secret. And we start to, to yearn for God's presence. Se- secret prayer is the soul of prayer. It's the seal of prayer. It's the strength of prayer. If you do not pray alone, he says, you do not pray at all. I care whether or not you pray in the street or in the church or in the barrack room, you know, barrack rooms, those things, or in the cathedral. But your heart, listen, must, I love that, must speak with God in secret or you have not prayed. You, we must pray. It's not like we should pray. We must to know God and be known by him. Write this down. Prayer is also a place to recenter our lives. Prayer is where we relate with the Father in true relationship, being who we are before him, our truest selves, we're sons and daughters through the gospel. We, we know him in private. Prayer is also, Jesus taught this, prayer is also where we recenter our naturally off-kiltered and off-centered and disoriented lives. Prayer is where we recenter. Prayer is how we recenter. Jesus said, when you pray, Jesus saw prayer as a, as a chance to relate with the Father, our Father in heaven, say that, and then say, as you're speaking, while you're talking to God the Father, remind yourself that this is your Father who's in heaven. There's intimacy and reverence all in the same breath. Hallowed be your name. Don't just come before God in prayer with all the things you need from God. Stop for a second and think about who you're talking to, right? Hallowed be your name. There is no name like the name of God. There's no one like, like, like God and God alone. To think that I'm approaching the very one who spoke the universe into existence. Holds the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. Hallowed be your name. There's a reverence here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I think this is a main reason why when the disciples find, find Jesus and they're like, Jesus, everyone has been looking for you, he's not even phased. I love that. It's like they didn't even ask him the question or they didn't even make the comment. When, when they find, and this is why. Jesus is, 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 is out praying. They come find him. They go, Jesus, we've been looking for you. And he goes, uh, I got to go to the next town. This is my purpose for life. He was centered on who God called him to be in prayer. Some of us are so off-centered that, that anything that comes up, it becomes our next job. It becomes our next mission. And we, we become need-led rather than spirit-led. 
And Jesus models a kind of prayer that's, and, and teaches us prayer like this. When you come before God, it's not just a chance to connect with God. It's a chance to recenter our scattered hearts around who he is. You are God. See, prayer is where I, listen, reorient around what matters most. It matters most. It's not that the things in your life aren't important, that they don't matter. But seek first the kingdom of God. What matters most and when I pray, Jesus says it's a chance to recenter around God, to know who He is, to recenter around His character. You know, one of the best ways to start your prayer time is just in praise. Remind yourself who God is by telling Him who He is. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. Come before Him, reminding yourself of what He's done and who He is. It's amazing how your giant prayer list will start to get a little less intimidating when you bring it before a God that you've reminded yourself is bigger than everything. So I come before you and I say, God, hallowed be your name. I praise you for who you are. And then I center my heart around his purposes on the earth. I love this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer helps us recenter our lives around what matters most. There's such a tendency to be living for our own will, isn't there? The human will is strong and God uses it for a lot of great things. So does the enemy. Our human will can tend to lead us and direct us and be what's in control of our lives. So what a, what a beautiful posture that says, when I pray, I'm saying, God, not my will, your will be done. What a great place to center yourself. God, I've been living for my own will, and so I'm praying for your will to be done. And, and also, what a great way to approach your life. I'm starting my day, and I'm saying, God, this isn't another work day. This is a day for me to be available to your will. Being done on earth through my life. Here I am. I'm recentered upon you. Help me not go about this day with me on my mind. Help me be available to you and available to the people you're going to bring into my life today. Help me be centered. Such an incredible practice. I love this prayer. Psalm 119.37. This should just, I, like this needs to be on like every doorpost in my house as I see it every day when I walk. I love this. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. What a prayer. Lord, turn away my eyes. Turn, and maybe the modern is like, turn away my thumb from scrolling at worthless things. <laughs> but sincerely, like if this was true back in the BC time, that's the scholarly date for when this was written, okay? How much more now in the world of iPhones and notifications and social media distractions? Last thing here. We'll close with this last one. Prayer is a place where we receive what we need. Prayer is where we relate with the Father. Prayer is where we recenter our lives around God in relationship with Him. We need to have a time and place to do this on the daily. And prayer is where we receive what we need. Jesus said, and when you pray... Commune with your Father, recenter around who He is and what He's doing in the world, present your life available to what He's doing, and when you pray, pray, God, give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And God, I pray that you would help me not be led into temptation. God, deliver me from the evil one. Prayer is a place, Jesus taught, where you receive what you need. Um, 
one of the most encouraging things about this is the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't be like them. He says, because your Father knows the things you need even before you pray. Isn't that cool? Now, this shouldn't discourage your prayers. Like, oh, well, why do I need to pray? He already knows what I need. No, this should encourage your prayers to not look anywhere else. You're the one that knows what I need even before I ask you, so I'm going to come to you. You're best suited to deal with what I need. You're the only one who knows the difference between what I want and what I need. So I'm coming to you. Prayer is a place to receive what we need. Now, though this is true, you know what? The hardest part about this point, and let me say, probably one of the main reasons I don't pray as I should is it's hard for me to think that this is actually true about my life. That what I need is found in a posture of receiving it from God. Everything in our culture is the opposite. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, I'm so prone to achieve, right? I'm so prone to be better, to work harder, to look within. This is foreign to me. It's foreign to my nature. Why should I pray? Because you need to receive what you need from God. Well, can't I just figure it out on my own? Can't I just put the equation together and get the peace I need? Or can't I just try harder and think better? I mean... No, no. Jesus said, pray like this. God, give me what I need each day. Give me your, 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 your provision. Lord, I need your peace. I need your forgiveness. What do you need today? Prayer is that place where you receive what you need. Maybe a couple things to think about. Maybe you're in need today of some vision. You've kind of lost sight of your life and what you're called to do. Prayer is the place where you can receive vision. Maybe you're in need of wisdom, direction. God, I, I, I need direction. Well, the Bible says if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he'll give you wisdom, direction to make decisions, peace, which surpasses all understanding. Maybe today you go, I need some strength. Prayer is the place that you receive what you need. Come to God. He knows what you need. He knows you need strength even before you were aware of it. Hope. I need revelation, God. I want to see deeper into your word and what's true about you. God, I need grace. I need a grace to keep going. I need a grace to keep loving you and walking with you. God, I need your forgiveness. Forgive me, God. I'm not just going to try to perform my, my way into feeling better. I'm going to come to you, confess my sin, and receive your forgiveness. How about this one? Lord, um, I need your Holy Spirit. I need your Spirit, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when, when you come in this posture, he said, ask and it will be given to you. He said, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For whoever asks receives and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you if his son asks for some bread is going to give him a stone? He's, just, he's talking about fallen, sinful dads. He's like, even the worst dad among you, you're not going to do the old switcheroo for breakfast and make your son you know, break his teeth with a stone instead of his waffle. Or if he asks for a fish, he's going to give him a serpent. This is funny, Jesus. He's, he's using this language to say, how much more than if you, of us being fallen evil fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more? That's the idea. How much more? How much more does God want to give you what you need? And how can prayer 
be the place that we come back to this. You know, I want to close with this. I'll invite the band to come out. And I'm right on time here at 1120, new world record. And um, this is the way that Jesus ends this conversation. They find him after he's wandered to the desert, wandered to the solitary place. They come and they find him. And notice Jesus' comment. He says, I've, I've got to go to the next town. I've received direction from my father. I'm led by the spirit, not by the needs around me. And just look at this phrase. Jesus was so purpose-driven for this purpose I've come forth. And certainly this is birthed out of his prayer life. Realigning, recentering with, with his heavenly purpose. And I want us to make sure that when we leave here today, the thing we're thinking about most is how the purpose of Jesus is what saved us. That today as we sit here, as we gather here, we get to be sons and daughters of God. This is not a message that says you need to pray more. Pray. This is a message that hopefully should lead us to go. Through Jesus' purpose, I've become a son and daughter of God and I get to know God. I want to know him. I want to know that I know him. I want to know him in a deeper way. I want to know him in a greater way. It was for this purpose that Jesus came forth to go to a cross, to take my sin on that cross, to be buried and to rise, defeating the grave, ultimately to give me eternal life, to forgive me of my sin and give me a new identity in him. And so I, it's not just that I should pray, I want to pray, I get to pray. I need to, like Jesus, have this practice in my life or as things get busier, I need to get more frequently alone with God, knowing him there where he's truly known recentering my life around him and receiving what I need for the road ahead. Amen.